So we as people, as we uh, want to live out Jesus' story, as we want to experience his incredible life, we want those core foundational pieces uh, about his life that he taught to be in us. If we try to grow Christianity culturally or, or in, a, in a very slow uh, way, it's, it's not going to be sort of a natural expression of the seeds that Jesus planted in his early church. So what are those things in the early church uh, that, that really brought life. It's all his teaching about the kingdom. In the book of Matthew, uh, we see this. We see him talk about salt. We see him talk about light. We see him talk about grain, wine, rock, wind, uh, net, mustard. Mustard. That's a mustard seed. Jesus is talking about mustard. Uh, lunch. Quite significant teaching around lunch, uh, which we're all thinking about right now. I never should have said that. Uh, yeast, taxes. Can you believe that Jesus could say something profound to us through the idea of taxes? Right around this, wait a minute, it's May 1st. Oh boy. Uh, taxes, uh, kids, uh, a tree, all kinds of things like that. And what we're going to talk about today is rock. We're talking about a teaching that Jesus sort of developed around the idea of a rock. Uh, what Jesus wants for us, of course, as people is to be uh, people who are secure. That's the life, that's a piece of the picture of the life that Jesus wants us to have. He wants his people to be secure. He wants his people to be steadfast. He wants his people to be solid. That sense of security that comes from Christ is a huge piece of what makes it possible for us to live out his story in the world. Makes it possible for us to go forward. I want to tell you a story of a home. This is a home that is called a clingstone. It's clearly built on a rock. Uh, the, this home clingstone was built in 1905. It's uh, perched a pra, uh, on top of a, an island in a group of islands just off the coast of, of Rhode Island called the Dumplings. So it's just these little dumplings in the water. And, and some of them have these, these homes perched on them. This home was built in 1905 by uh, a guy who uh, had, had just had his home expropriated by uh, a military base. So the government wanted to build a new military base on the coast and said, you know, we're just going to condemn your house and take it and build our base. And he wasn't entirely happy about that because his home wasn't uh, in need of being condemned. It was actually a mansion. It was a wonderful place. But the government expropriated his home and, and took it and, and sort of in his insecurity and in his feeling like, yeah, I, I really want to have my place and I want to have it here. He, he acquired one of these rocks out in the middle of the ocean and he built his home on it uh, in, in 1905. Uh, he and his wife lived out there uh, for a while. It's a 10,000 square foot, a 23 room home, so just a little shack for you and I. Uh, and, uh, and it's designed to withstand uh, all of the forces that would come against it in that place, right? Because it's exposed to hurricanes and ocean, so it's a really unique kind of, uh, of home framing. Uh, that he built there, a unique kind of uh, truss design used more in, in terms of industrial uh, construction. And it's actually one of the unique features of the home is it's shingled on the outside and it's also shingled on the inside. With the idea being as if that a major hurricane ever hit that home and blew out the windows, that it would just, the water would run off on the walls and through drainage that was built into the floor on the inside. So that it was actually made not only to uh, keep a hurricane out, but it was made so that a hurricane could blow through it and not destroy the home. And there's, a, there's an interesting thought for us in that that we can 
uh, talk about later. So this incredible unique home, uh, when his wife died um, in, his, in the 40s, I believe it was, or maybe it was, 19, it was 1936, uh, he just sort of lost interest in the place and kind of left it and, uh, and just sort of, sort of moved out, stopped paying taxes on it. And in, uh, I think, 1965, uh, it was, yeah, 1961, it was purchased by the architect uh, Henry Wood, for uh, the taxes that were owed, $3,500. So you and I should be looking for deals like that. Um, so he, he purchased this incredible home and began restoring it, and it's under the process of restoration to this day, just a fascinating uh, piece of architecture. But what it reminds us of is that, uh, that something that is built on a firm foundation, that's built on a solid foundation, uh, is, is something that endures, something that lasts, something that's, that's awesome. And so as we look at the scriptures, we, you, you know already probably which, uh, which text I'm, I'm looking at, but we're going to talk about uh, what Jesus meant when he said, building your house on the rock, and what Jesus meant when he said, uh, living a life that's secure in him. So let's just go to, and read this, uh, read this passage together. This is Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 24 to 29. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. And we'll just talk about uh, some of what he meant here when he said this. Uh, just, just remembering the context, uh, Jesus was speaking to uh, people. This is the, this is actually uh, his his closer. This is actually his uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so this is his summation, him wrapping it all up, uh, and uh, and this is what he does. He says this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He taught as one who had authority. And so here we are, Jesus wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he says, uh, therefore, so this is, this is his summation of the Sermon on the Mount, therefore, because of all of this stuff that I said uh, in this teaching to you, and we're having a little fun with the uh, audio here. Uh, because of all of this stuff that I said to you, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Well, what is he saying in the passage immediately before that, in the section immediately for, before that? We've talked about this time and time again. When you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you, of course, ask what is therefore therefore. And so you read the little section that came uh, in advance of that, and, and you, you read that he, he's talking to people about uh, the question of how do I know I'm in? How do I know that a person I'm talking to is in relationship with you? How do I know that I'm connected with you? How can I be secure in my relationship with you? And that's something that we as people often struggle with. Uh, I, I mean, it's a, it's a good, good part of my, my ministry. In fact, one of, the, one of the most profound parts of what I do as a pastor is I will have somebody call me up and they will talk about something that they've done in their lives. They will talk about something that they feel uh, separates them from Jesus, that separates them from relationship with God. 
and, the, and they'll feel like, I just can't participate in this anymore. I just can't do this thing anymore. And a good part of what I do is, is reminding them about the things in their life that are, are truly foundational. The way the gospel story is a story that doesn't actually change, even though circumstances in our lives change. How do you found yourself? How do you base yourself on the things in life that are truly solid, that are truly unchanging? Uh, when times get rough, when you go through depression, when you've hurt somebody, when you've made a mistake, when uh, your relationships are a mess, when your finances are a mess, what are the things that are really foundational that you can, you can hang on to? Uh, what are those? Uh, and so looking at that passage before uh, that, it says this, is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and, and perform many miracles? And then Jesus says this super encouraging and comforting thing. Uh, he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And what Jesus is doing there is he's, as he talks about what makes us secure, as he talks about how we know we're anchored in, in relationship with him, uh, he brings out two things that, that we know aren't what anchor us primarily in relationship with him. Uh, the first of those things is uh, to anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, the first thing he's saying there is, is it's not just about what you say. It's not just about what you say. It's not just about having the right kind of language. It's not right, uh, about having the right kind of words. That there's something more. There's something active that we're required to do that, that anchors us in a relationship with Jesus. Uh, that's something that we sort, of, we sort of know. There's been lots of teaching on that in the church. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and, and perform many miracles? And, and we see this connection with miracles, just a, just a little side note on this, Does, is Jesus, is this, because this passage has been used this way a number of times, but is Jesus anti-miracle? Jesus is not anti-miracle. In fact, immediately after this passage, he's out there uh, performing miracles. He's out there touching people. Uh, a thought on that, just, just a, a rabbit to, to chase just really briefly. Um, you can do miracles and you can pray for the sick and you can see incredible things happen in people's lives, and Jesus can, can come to you and say, hey, I, I, never, I never knew you. I, I, that wasn't connected with uh, the reality of who I am, the reality of, of knowing me. So miracles uh, can be a wonderful thing as a sign, but very, very often in the church when we teach on miracles, we teach on them as something that is there to validate the ministry of the church and validate us as people. Right? That's what we think of when we think of miracles. That's a big part of me. That's, that's a part of the motivation that I wrestle with when I pray for people is, uh, is that I would, uh, it, would, it would validate me as a minister. It would validate me as a person. I, I got uh, 2.7 healings per month and uh, I'm okay. It's all going to work out with the Lord. I've got that sorted out. My ministry is valid. I'm bearing fruit. All of that kind of thing, right? Uh, that's sort of a, a thing that we can wrestle with. But what, uh, what Jesus does when he's, when he's uh, performing miracles and doing miracles, especially early in his ministry, all of the time he's saying, now, we did this miracle, uh, I healed you, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Now, why would Jesus do that? 
as, as a minister who is looking to build, in a sense, a, a reputation in his time and space to, to really reveal who God is, why is he not out there? At, why, is he, why does he not have somebody going behind him with his iPhone and, and tweeting about all the miracles? Right? Get that one on Instagram. Broken, not broken. You know, use pick frame to get the two frames. And why is he, why is he not, not doing that? Well, because primarily Jesus' miracles flow out of his compassion. Primarily the miracles of Jesus flow out of compassion, and that's absolutely the thing that he wanted to be known first for. He wanted to be known for his love, for his compassion, for his heart. And so he poured out miracles. So just a little aside for us on miracles. Uh, let miracles flow out of, let prayer for the sick flow out of as much as we can, a compassion and a love for the person who needs the miracle more than out of a, a sense of a need for validation for ourselves because that sense of needing validation isn't, isn't all that interesting to God in the first place. He, he's, not, he's not too, God is not actually all that interested in validating my ministry. I mean, I try to get him interested, but he just doesn't, uh, he just doesn't want to, doesn't want to play ball. He, he tends to want to validate his ministry, which is, which is maybe his is better than mine. It's a lot better, isn't it? He's amazing, right? What, what he's doing, what he's doing in people's lives. That's what was awesome about just sitting up here uh, during worship, at the end of worship, was just, uh, I was just sitting there and I'm praying and I'm seeing Jesus moving and touching people all around the congregation. I watched one person start weeping over here, another person start crying over here as Jesus comes on them and touches their heart. We didn't say anything. We didn't direct any of that. But Jesus, out of his incredible love and compassion, was caring for people in that moment. And we don't have to have anything to do with that at all. He's going to do that all on his own just because of who he is. An incredible, loving, amazing Savior. Incredible, loving, amazing Savior. So he says this to them. He says, that was a bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it was important. He said, and then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. I never knew you. So what is it that is a foundation on, what, on which we build our lives? Well, the foundation is knowing Jesus, isn't it? It's, it's having a relationship with Jesus. I will tell you plainly, I, I never knew you away from me, my, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So the question is, how do you practice knowing God? How do you practice knowing Jesus? How do you practice that? What does that word knowledge mean? What does that, that knowing of God mean? It's a, it's a Greek word that's sort of based on that, that Greek word gnosis. It's gnosko, uh, which means uh, to know especially through personal experience. To know through personal experience. And it's actually a word that's used uh, in, in the scriptures in another way. It's used to speak of, of marital, marital intimacy. It's meant to, it's used uh, in uh, Matthew, or sorry, in Luke one thirty four. And Mary, a virgin, said to the angel, how will this be since I don't know a man? How will it be since, since I don't have that kind of intimate relationship 
with, with a person. So this, this knowing of Jesus is something that, that's intimate, and not only is it something that's intimate and, 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 and sort of that intangible knowing of a person, of knowing their heart, of knowing what they think, of knowing what they're like, of knowing what their personality traits are, but, but in, in, the, in the verse that follows, it talks about how we practice that, right? How we walk it out, how we live out that sense of knowing. So it's not for us in the doing of Jesus' work that we become secure, it's not in the doing of Jesus' work that we become secure. It's in the knowing of Jesus. And it's not just in the knowing of Jesus, but in the practice of knowing him that we find security. And that fits with what I really feel like God is, is saying to our community in, in, this, in this time. Uh, you know, we are, we are people who, who live with, with very, very little margin. Uh, we live with very, very little uh, time in our life that is, is left over from the cost of doing life to actually live. Right? We live with, with very little of that. We have our lives filled with, with, with programs. We have our lives filled with, with work. We have our lives filled with, with so many uh, things that we do. And almost all of the cracks and nooks and crannies of our lives where we're not actually doing something programmed as people aren't filled with a, with a sense of knowing Jesus, uh, of practicing relationship with him, of, of prayer, of worship, of listening, of, of, of sort of pursuing the spiritual dis, uh, disciplines. For me, a lot of the time, in a lot of weeks, a lot of that little bit of margin, that little bit of time I have left over in life uh, to do something that isn't programmed or planned for me is, is spent with my good friend Google. Did any of you have a good friend Google? Google loves me. Facebook loves me too. And so does Instagram. Oh, they really love me. And so we take this little bit of margin that we have in life, and, and, and I get how that a lot of those things are us wanting to learn things and, and wanting to feel connected to people. I totally understand that. But, but to carve out some of that margin for us in, in a new way as people, to uh, find relationship with Jesus again, is so critical. I think that's the word of the Lord for us, the church, is for us to recover margin in our lives for relationship with Jesus. And that out of that margin, out of that recovered margin, then it's possible for us to do mission. Then it's possible for us to do the mission. But, but recovering the margin for intimacy with Jesus is absolutely uh, what has to come first uh, for us as people. And so we, we take that sense of desire to know God, a desire to practice knowing him, and know that you can know God, and you can have had an experience with God, you can have had a moment at camp where you gave your heart to the Lord, like, like I did, where I knew he was present in my life for the first time ever, you can have that kind of experience with God, and never have another one again, unless you carve out time and space in your life, carve out margin to do that, to know him in the morning as you pray, to know him as you read the scriptures. And so there's a call to that. There's a call to that practice of knowing Jesus, that practice of knowing Jesus. And so as, uh, as uh, Matthew uh, shares, continues to write, he continues to share uh, what Jesus taught at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says this, 
which is really just the opposite of what he, he already told us, right? He, he says this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And that's a, that, that word crash in the Greek is actually, a, a, what do we call, I, I've lost the word, what do we call it in English where we have a, a word like boom or bang or something like that? Onomatopoeia, thank you, English majors. Thank you very much. Give Bailey a big hand there, come on. Somebody's learning, somebody's paying attention in school. It's fantastic. And that's what that is in the Greek, is it's a sound that's like It's crash, the house falls with a, with a great crash. So the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a crash. And what, just what, uh, what Peter's doing here is he's adding importance to these ideas in the same way that the writers of the Proverbs did. It's a device that, uh, that a poetical writer in the time of the Proverbs or the Psalms would use where they would take a, an idea and then they would just repeat the opposite. It's called an antithetical parallelism. So they take uh, the idea and what you do in terms of interpreting those pieces of scriptures, you take uh, the th elements in them are, that are the same and you say the writer is emphasizing that but even more so the writer is emphasizing uh, the things in the, in the parallelism that aren't the same. And so you sort of unpack uh, those things that way. And so uh, you have a God who leads really clearly with both the carrot and the stick. And, and he gives us that. He gives us that grace. He says, listen, this is the awesome thing that can happen in your life if you spend time with me, if you really know me from the heart, if you practice and walk in this relationship with me. And oh, by the way, this is the disaster that will happen if you don't. And so he's really gracious to us. And, and he's letting us, he's saying, listen, if they won't be motivated by the good stuff, I'll let them be motivated by the fear. I'll do whatever I can to get them uh, hooked up and have a relationship with me. And we often find that in the scriptures, that we respond to different things. We're in different parts on our journey. And if we're not responding to the generous invitation of God, uh, he'll wave a warning sign at us like that. So whatever connects with you as a person, uh, whether it's the warning sign, <laughs> are you not wanting your life to, to fall with a crash, or are you uh, anxiously wanting your life to thrive, whichever the case is, uh, we spend more time with Jesus and we get to know him. And that's a firm foundation. And why do we need that firm foundation? Why do we need that firm foundation? Well, the assumption in that parallelism uh, whether you read it uh, in the positive, as he did it in, in verse 24, therefore, whoever hears those words of mine and puts them into practice is like the person who built his house on the rock, or the opposite, the person who doesn't heed these words, this relationship of mine, and put it into practice is like the person who built his house on the sand. Uh, in both cases, the thing that's the same in that parallelism is that the winds blow, the rains fall, and the floods come. The rain falls, the streams flow, and the wind blows. The way that Jesus leads us in life, the way that, uh, that life happens for us is he doesn't always protect us from uh, the storms. He doesn't always calm the storms. He doesn't always stop the storms. The storms are the constant in the story. The storms are the constant in life. So how do you want to endure those constants in life? Do you want to endure them uh, on a firm foundation or do you want to endure them resting on the sand? Do you want to endure them resting on the sand? And, and that's where I love that image of this particular house that's shingled on the outside and shingled on the inside. 
sometimes the storms get into our lives really, really deep. They get past the windows, they get past the caulking, they get past the doors, and the storm is inside our lives. The storm is an internal storm, and, and sometimes that storm is an external storm. Uh, it's the pressure of, of something t- bad that happened to you. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe uh, something has gone wrong in a, in a relationship. Uh, whatever it is, uh, your house that is built on a rock with Jesus is a house that is firm whether the storm blows from the inside out or whether the storm blows from the outside in. He's there. He loves you. And he's going he's gonna to carry you through. And it's in knowing all of this. And it's in knowing all of this that, that our lives can bear fruit. It's in knowing all of this that, that our lives can be secure, that the gospel can go forward in our lives, whether good things are happening or whether bad things are happening. Uh, Matthew uh, sums up Jesus' teaching at the end like this. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Uh, Jesus just said these things in a way that... that uh, he put forward a, a, a rule, a, a law, a, an understanding of who he was that was just utterly inviolable. You can absolutely trust me. You can absolutely trust me if you build your life on knowing me. You will never be shaken. Well, you may be shaken, but you'll never fall down. You'll never fall down. And so uh, practical application, what does that mean uh, for you and what does that mean for me? Uh, I can't really answer that question for you. My uh, little house on a rock looks a little more like that. <laughs> that's, that's what my life looks like a little more. <laughs> How do you get there anyway? There's a kayak on that. but. How do you live your life as a little wee house in the middle of a big stream on a, on a little wee rock? Well, you do it in relationship with Jesus. He, he is that rock. If you're here this morning and you feel like your life is shaking, you feel like your life is, is broken, you feel like you're struggling with a, with a storm that's either blowing from the inside out or maybe it's a storm that's blowing from the outside in, Uh, The solution for you for feeling security in that moment is for you to go home and for you to uh, leave your friend Google behind and spend time with your friend Jesus. And whatever that means uh, for you, and there's, there's all kinds of different ways in which we can practice the presence of God. We can practice that relationship with God. We can grow deep in prayer and in the reading of the scriptures and and, and all of that. If your life is shaking, that actual tangible practiced experience of knowing God and knowing his presence is absolutely the solution for you. Everything gets better from there. Let's stand. Jesus, I pray for this incredible church, this incredible community of people who love you. And I ask that for each one of us, uh, uh, the many things that we think our our lives are secure in, Father, they they just shake and they shift and they move all the time, Father. Would you cause us to uh, renew our foundations in knowing you? 
Would you cause us to reclaim margin in our lives? To reclaim time in prayer, to reclaim uh, moments of intimacy with you, to reclaim uh, that relationship with you that is heart to heart and face to face. And, and out of that, Father, we have a firm foundation to accomplish the work that you're calling to us, us to accomplish. To accomplish the vision you're speaking to us now, Father, to accomplish uh, the missions that you have for us. But would it start with recovering margin? Would it start with recovering heart? Would it start with recovering, uh, again, an intimate relationship with you? Would you call us to your throne? Call us to your throne in a new way, God. And out of all that, Father, would we have your life and your life abundant, your abundant life, Father. Would you live through us in a huge and radical and joyful way, Father? Filled with hope, filled with glory, filled with joy. Live through us, God. Live big in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.